This is the Real Estate Investing Abundance Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Allen. I just want to take a moment to introduce you to our company, Steed Talker Capital. Steed Talker Capital is a real estate investment firm. If you'd like to learn more about real estate investing, head over to our website, steedtucker.com. And while you're there, take a moment to get your one-page guide to the 10 Steps to Passive Real Estate Investing. Downloading this PDF will also enroll you in our Enlightened Investor Circle. And by enrolling in the Enlightened Investor Circle, you'll be the first to know about any new investment opportunities that we are getting involved with. Look forward to hearing from you. Enjoy today's show. Hello, enlightened investors, and welcome back to Real Estate Investing Abundance. I'm your host, Dr. Allen. I'm so delighted to be back with you again today. We're going to take a look here at buying your first income property and getting a 250% return on Airbnbs. With us today is James Svatik, and he is an Airbnb expert, investor, and coach who coaches students around the world on Airbnb hosting, management, and investing. James is also the best-selling author of Airbnb for Dummies, and his work has been featured in Forbes, New York Times, and many others. Also with us today is Riley Oikel, and he is a Canadian real estate investor and mentor who specializes in multifamily residential investing through the BRRRR and joint venture strategies. Today, he owns a real estate portfolio worth over $8 million. He helps beginners find, analyze, and purchase cash-flowing properties through coaching while continuing to build his own portfolio of rental properties. So, James and Riley, take us into the show and share an experience that helped you to be who you are today. Riley, start us off. All right. That's a hard one. Like there's just so many things uh, like that pop up for me as like a, a very formative in my earlier years. I would say one of the most notable ones though, that I think a lot of people that are in real estate investing can definitely resonate with would be, I ran a whole maintenance company where I had to knock on houses to get clients. And I found through knocking on these houses, it just taught me so many lessons. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, I easily over three year, like over a three year period knocked on, I don't know, 5,000 or even more houses for sure. And, um, you know, like you, you get rejected all the time, <laughs> like nine, 90 out of a hundred doors. Like I think I was getting rejected on it. So I, I really built up that thick skin to be able to take on uh, the world, I think, and not really care about what people think as much too. So I, there were just so many great learning lessons, but it was definitely knocking houses and doing that this school of hard knocks would have been one of the yeah, that's, uh, most formative for me that, that is uh, cold calling in any way shape or form is is a big challenge but doing it door to door i've never done it and i don't envy you for having done it but yeah i'm sure it did develop some thick skins there well james how about you yeah, I don't know why this is this memory really stuck with me, but this is from like early childhood. Is my dad owns a couple of businesses and uh, and they've got like brick and mortar physical locations, and I would always go into work with him on the weekends, and he would get me to clean the bathrooms, mop the floors, take out the trash, all this stuff. And as a as a kid, I was a real germaphobe, so I always hated taking out the trash from the from the bathrooms. And one day I didn't do it, 
And so he walks me around and we're doing our, our end of day inspection to make sure all my work was done well. And, uh, and he saw that it wasn't done. And so he just did it himself with me walking there with him. And I, I remember I asked him like, well, dad, like you own this business, don't you? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, well, why don't you hire someone else to, to do it? And he was like, he, I remember he said to me, like something to the effect of like, well, well, James, when you're, when you're the boss, it means that you, you have to be willing to do anything. You have to be willing to do whatever is necessary. There's never a job that's beneath you. And he was like, well, and James, right now, this is the only job that you have. So this job is not beneath you because it's the only job that you have. And I remember that just really stuck with me of like this lesson in like, number one, when you're the owner, you just have to be able to be willing to do whatever it takes. You just have to do whatever, whatever is necessary. And number two, that like nothing is ever beneath you. You just have to have to always like appreciate the the opportunity that you have, like appreciate the work that you have. It's never it's never beneath you. If it needs to be done, get it done. Well, good lessons learned at uh, young ages there. Well, tell us how it is that you all got started in the real estate business. Uh, I would say, yeah, on my end, it was really just this this foot in the door opportunity with someone that had a portfolio, he brought me on as a sidekick. That was his right-hand man and oversaw uh, just his whole portfolio over about a two and a half year period was overseeing acquisitions and deal analysis and did a bit of financing there with him too. And then the renovation management got my hands dirty. You know, I did, did a few flips, which was definitely insightful for sure. And then did the property management, so we rented units, the long-term management, ended up doing some, some reconciliation bookkeeping stuff too, which was hilarious. But, uh, you know, uh, like kind of, kind of whole A to Z and it, it was great and did that for quite a while until I, I really f- felt confident in each area. And then mm-hmm. I ended up going and buying property after that. So how did you, all, how'd you all meet? How did James and I meet or the fellow who helped you get started? How, oh yeah. It was just like a, a connection from a previous company that we'd worked for oh. where it's, um, yeah, like we both worked for that company. And so I knew him through that. He'd come oh. in every year and do like a presentation in front of the group. So oh, okay. Okay, cool. Well, James, how about you? How did you get started? I actually got started in property management. So I started one of the businesses that I started after uh, after university was managing other people's properties, specifically on Airbnb. And so that started with a connection of mine, like a friend of mine at the time, he basically had a, a condo that he would stay at during the week when he worked in the city. And then on the weekends, he would go to his place up up north outside the city. And so I just started by listing that property on Airbnb for him on the weekends when he was out of town. And then he was really happy with that. And then I thought, well, heck, if I can, if I can rent this place on the weekends, I can probably rent other people's places just full time for them. And so we started growing from there and managing people's properties. And like, before you know, we kind of had like 35 properties that we were managing full time as as short term rentals that were in the city there, and then did that for a while, got more and more into the Airbnb space, learned a lot about Airbnb and about short term rentals in general through doing that. And then I myself had never invested up to that point, I just was managing properties. And then Riley and I reconnected, we had worked together in the past. And then we kind of fell out of touch, you know, met back up and we went, Hey, like I manage short term rental properties and have all this experience with Airbnb. And I've always wanted to actually buy one, but I don't know anything. I don't know the first thing about buying a place, like finding a good property, analyzing the numbers, stuff like that. And Riley was basically the exact opposite. Hey, I've got all this experience buying, renovating, running the numbers, like no real estate investing inside and out, but have never actually dabbled into into short-term rentals and always been interested in it. So then naturally the two of us just started working together and it was a, a great fit. So that was how I first formally got into, into real estate investing was through Riley and I working together and, and buying short-term rental properties. 
Well, that that's interesting. So Riley's in Toronto and you're in New York City, right? I uh, know both in Toronto, actually. Oh, you're both in Toronto. Okay. I don't know what made me think you were in New York City. But anyway. Okay. Well, cool. So how did you all meet? And you said you had worked together prior. How? Where did you all meet? Yeah. So that was like uh, in Canada, we've got these like student painting companies. So essentially when you're in university, people will come around and they'll say, they'll give you this opportunity to like interview and you can, uh, it's kind of like a franchise model where they'll coach you and show you like how to run a painting business, like, you know, residential painting or like window cleaning and other home services. And so Riley and I both were sort of franchisees, if you will, of that company. Mm -hmm. And so we met through that. Tell us about uh, B&B Inner Circle and what made you decide to start your own coaching program? What made us start it? Well, yeah, I guess context quick would be uh, B&B Inner Circle is essentially a online program where we actually offer a bit of training in pre-recorded lectures, but also like mainly it's like one-on-one private coaching. So you're actually given a rental expert who has lots of experience with short-term rentals and they work with you every step of the way from start to finish through the analysis of the city to analyzing the property, picking the best one, putting in offers, getting those accepted, counter-offering, negotiating, all that good stuff, getting it financed with creative financing with their own money, renovation, furnishing, all the way into like the launch and the optimization of the pricing. And so the whole thing, it is that. And, and so that that's what we do there is we help people to essentially buy short-term rentals. Um, we're also working with with um, some of the clients that we have. They, they come in with a portfolio already of short-term rentals and they're just underperforming. Mm-hmm. And we help them to optimize those listings too and, and just make them way better. Um, okay, well, neat. Yeah. Well, what are some of the biggest challenge that you all have faced in your real estate investing career? And uh, how'd you come through those times and what lessons did you learn from that? Yeah, I would say for me, honestly, like I think it was it was nice to start in the property management side because I was able to work out a lot of the kinks before actually actually investing in the properties. But some of the things that I, I worked through there, like the challenges we came to were just I think one of the big ones is just trying to to like get a short term rental up and running and actually generating good numbers and not having it take up a huge amount of your time. That's a that's a big one that when I first started managing properties, it was basically just me doing it uh doing it all myself so i was managing the pricing guest communication i even was doing some of the cleanings myself when uh when the when the guests would check out and so a big one was just learning how to set up the systems so that it could be hands off like so that you've got a cleaning team that goes in takes care of cleaning so that you've got you know a good pricing strategy that doesn't take a ton of time so you've got you know, a virtual assistant that can help out with guest messaging. So really my approach to, to solving that just came down to systems, just putting the right systems in place so that because a lot of it is the same kind of thing happening over and over again, different variations of it. So I found that once you kind of systemize it and boil it down and you're not constantly in reactive mode, that was able to, to iron it out so that it could become really passive and that, you know, you can, you can manage, you know, 20, 30 properties and not have it be, you know, a massive full-time job. Enlightened investors, if you haven't done so already, Be sure and click that like button and also click that share so others can take advantage of the content. And finally, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single one of our upcoming episodes. There's a lot that goes into to certainly getting uh, a rental ready to go, particularly if it's your first rental. But on top of just your long-term rentals, there's a lot more that goes into short-term rentals. They're always, they have to be furnished, not only just furnished with furniture, they have to, you have to have the silverware, the plateware, the pots and pans and, and linens and so on and so forth. 
So just kind of take us through what a person needs to expect when they're looking at either just going directly into short-term rentals, or maybe they have long-term rentals and they are considering converting those to short-term. What are what do they really need to go through to do that? Yeah, I'd say yeah, just, well, just yeah. Can you go to finance that one, James? Yeah, yeah, take it away. All right, sweet. All right, I would say just a couple quick things. Uh, de- definitely a challenging question because there's just so much encompassing in that. But I think if I were to just pull out a few quick tidbits, it'd be we we can kind of go through three steps. I would say step one is if you're thinking about doing short term rentals or you're thinking about flipping some long terms into short terms. You have to understand like the city research, so really understanding different markets. And so for us, we use uh, a software called AirDNA and um, like we actually have this enterprise level subscription, which basically gives us the nice bird's eye view of different markets. So it's important to understand that there is a market analysis to be done. That's your step one is figure if that city actually makes sense to have a short-term rental in, um, or what city, which city would make sense to have a short-term rental in. Step two is going to be essentially just really understanding the strategy. So if you're doing, you know, short-term rentals, it's like, okay, well, there's a lot within the strategy to actually understand, you know, what are the nuances between long-term versus short-term? So, you know, it isn't like with my long-terms, I set the rent and I forget them for like a year or two um, and maybe do the 2% increase a year for the price for my short-term rentals. You know, if you're not able to do the price optimization, if you're not able to do the price optimization, then you're you're losing a lot of potential money. Like one of the cottages that we have up north does 500 bucks a night on average. New Year's Eve, it was doing 1500 and we did a two night stay minimum. So that's three grand. Mm-hmm. If we kept it at the regular rate, we would have lost 2000 bucks of an opportunity cost. But mm-hmm. if we would have charged way more and say 3000 a night for a three night stay minimum, no one probably would have booked it. So we need to know like, what is that price? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of nuances like that. Guest communication you know, is a big one, obviously, like James mentioned. So really understanding that piece of the strategy. And there's a bunch of other nuances, like when you're running your analysis, the replenishables, your toilet paper, hand soap, stuff like that. And then making sure that you you can put in your cleaning fee cost. And so all those. The third main one is naturally just going to be everything to do with like the operations. So like really, really getting the systems dialed in for the operations, because this can be a very active business, like James said, if you allow it to. So you need the systems in play. So, so yeah, I would say that that's the other big one. That's why we're doing what we're doing today with BNB Inner Circle is because like that's just such a big demand is getting those systems. People buy McDonald's franchises and they go to McDonald's University to study their systems. And there's like 27 steps to fry French fries. So, you know, we have the same thing here where you've just broken out everything into steps. So you just follow the steps mm-hmm. and you have success. I haven't heard of any McDonald's that have shut down. I think a lot of them do pretty well. And so... We treat our clients the same way when they come in and they work with us, they get those systems, but that's the third step is really plugging into those systems and that's then knowing how to recruit and hire a great team to take them on for you. Otherwise it'll be a full-time job. It really will. Yeah. And you don't want to replace your nine to nine with like, or nine to five with nine to nine or something, right? Yeah, if you're trying to leave sure. your job through cash flow. Yeah. So James, did you have anything to add to that or? Honestly, I think Riley really nailed that. Like it just comes down to you need to make sure that for starters, you're you've got the right property on your hands, whether it's a property that you're looking to buy or whether it's one that you already own and are looking to convert over. It's just really a matter of knowing that you have the right property and then having all the systems to actually get it all set up. Cause like Riley mentioned, there's there's a a whole number of different steps in that process. And so if you can understand, first off, just being knowledgeable about what those are, because I think a lot of people underestimate it. They don't even think about things like Riley mentioned, pricing optimization that just doesn't even cross their mind. So just being aware of what those steps are and then having good systems and strategies to maximize on them, that's really the key. Well, just in general, what are some of the factors that make a city 
a worthwhile place to have Airbnbs? I would say that this comes down to a few main things. We could probably boil it down to about three main things. One is that you want to own a property there. Because for a lot of people, investing in short-term rentals, there's this really nice lifestyle component to it where you can actually use it and go, go on vacation. And so if that is of interest to you, then just buying a property in an area that you're actually interested in, that you that you get that value from it is a factor for some people. The next thing is going to be looking at the at the demand and the prices in the market. So just making sure that you can get a good return. And that's like Riley said, by using tools like AirDNA to analyze how well properties perform in the area. And then just comparing that to the average purchase price. If you look at something like Beachfront Malibu, you know, you're going to be paying an arm and a leg to get a property. And it's probably just not going to generate a lot of them as much as you need to, to get a good return. And if you look at somewhere in the middle of nowhere, you know, it might just not really have the demand for it. And so that's the, the other factor. And then probably the third factor that I always look at, and these are the, the major ones. There's some smaller factors we consider as well, but the three, the third major factor I always look at is regulation. So that's just looking at the at the area and see, okay, are there regulations that exist right now relative to short-term rentals? If there are, you know, we want to make sure that they're favorable. And then if there aren't, we want to make sure that the that if they do create regulations, that it's highly likely they are going to be favorable. So again, if you look at the difference between say like a downtown uh, metro area like New York City, they don't really need short-term rentals for the local economy. There's no big benefit to them there. Uh, the government doesn't really want to have them there because people tend to kind of use Airbnb as a scapegoat for high ho housing prices. There's also hotel lobby groups that don't really love having uh, having short-term rentals in the downtown area. So even if New York didn't have regulations, you could you could reasonably assume that when they do pass regulations, that they wouldn't be very favorable to short-term rentals. Whereas if you look at like upstate New York, where there's tons of cottage properties and a lot of those areas, like those local cities, whatnot, like the local businesses there are highly dependent on the tourism that goes up there every year in the summertime, people going up there and there just aren't any hotels. So then you look at, okay, well, what would happen if that municipality or that city were to regulate against short-term rentals? Well, it'd probably be pretty negatively impactful for all the local businesses up there. So it'd probably be a politically unpopular decision for them to do something like that. So again, that's where you can kind of look and say, okay, even if they do pass regulation in the future, if there aren't any right yet, then it's quite likely that they're going to be favorable and reasonable to, to short-term rentals. Well, what are uh, some of the common mistakes that uh, first-time Airbnb operators tend to make and how can uh, they avoid making those mistakes? Yeah, a couple of things, I think similar to what we just mentioned there. So like not doing the city research, I guess would be like the big one is like getting into a city where you haven't done that due diligence and figured out are the regulations in our favor or are they not? It's like, is this a place that a politician could easily wave their finger and then we're out of business? Like, so, so re really just understanding which markets to invest in is probably the biggest mistake that we see for sure. So, you know, the next one is just like thinking that they can do it all by themselves. You know, I think going back to what James had mentioned there when he was doing the, the management, you know, it, it's a lot. It really can be a lot, especially if you have plans to like scale and, and do quite a few of them. And so not, don't underestimate that is the biggest takeaway. Don't think, oh yeah, I'll just do the cleaning myself. Oh yeah, I'll just do the guest mm -hmm. communication myself because you won't really have much of a life. And we see a lot of people that do that and then they really just don't enjoy it at all. Right. And then they sell their properties and then they just give up on like this wealth creation vehicle that can actually do really, really good. They just need to understand that it's systems and people to replace themselves. And so that, that's the second biggest mistake. I don't know, James, do you have a third that you can think of? That would be so the two top ones that come to mind for me. 
Yeah, I really think, uh, again, like just to, I'm kind of echoing Riley of like a bo- broken record here, but I think you nailed it. Really, the, the mistakes that people make are just uh, just not putting the right systems in place to make the investment something that they're going to going to not only profit from, but also enjoy. Because if you profit from it and don't enjoy it, you're probably going to give up on it longer term. And then that's just, you know, that's obviously very negatively impactful. And then if you enjoy it, but don't profit from it, you're also not going to be in a good place. So you have to, you have to treat both as very important. I think a lot of people either either look at it as, oh, I, I, I'm just going to love it so much. And so like, I don't really need to care about the numbers. I'm not a numbers person. Or they tend to be the opposite. And they go, oh, as long as I'm making money, I don't know. I don't care how much time it takes. And you really have to put importance on both of those things in order to get longevity out of the investment. I'm sure this is part of the overall uh, analysis, particularly the, the city analysis. But uh, there is really low entry into the Airbnb market. I mean... Um, uh, people can convert their garage or they can uh, rent out one bedroom or so on and so forth. So there's a lot of very small operators in the business. And uh, I suspect there's a lot of people that come and go from that. But that would, if I were thinking about doing this, that would be one concern of mine because it would seem like these small operators have in some respects, they have a corner on the market and they are going to be able to control pricing and what have you. And that would seem to me to be a major challenge. Am I correct in assuming that or am I totally off base on that? I would say yes and no. So uh, there, there's definitely parts of truth to that. So what we find is that the smaller the property is, the more competition you're going to have. That's just a fact, right? Mm-hmm. If you have a, a one bedroom property that can accommodate two guests, then you're you're competing with all the other one bedrooms. You're also competing with the people that are renting out a spare bedroom in their home. And you're also competing with the two bedrooms, the three bedrooms, the four bedroom, five bedroom properties. So you've just got all this competition. Whereas if you get a larger property, you're just, if you can accommodate eight people, then you're not competing with the with the one bedroom condo. So there is certain that sort of dynamic where if you could do things to to set your property apart and put yourself away from the competition, then you tend to have less of that, like you know, the people that have low barrier to entry competing with you. And the other thing that I, I think is kind of a common misconception is I think a lot of people look at that what the the kind of phenomenon that you just described and go, oh, there's just going to be so much competition that it's going to be really hard to beat them and overcome it. And the reality is with anything that there's a really where there's a really low barrier to entry, there's going to be a lot of low performers, there's going to be a lot of people jumping in that just don't really know what they're doing. And so you do need to beat that part of the competition. But it's it's never very hard to do so. Because when you're trying to compete with like a, one of those small operators, it's just opportunistic, they jumped in, they've got a spare bedroom or like a basement suite, and they put it up there they probably haven't done a lot of research into like how to design the unit to be really great. They probably haven't gone and found a great photographer and given them good systems to get really great photos. They probably don't really know how to price their property that well. So they're probably priced too high when they shouldn't be and priced too low other times. And so they're probably just either getting fully booked up when when they're priced too low or they're pricing themselves out of the market by pricing too high. And so the reality is like those people do represent competition but it's it's generally very very easy to to beat that competition. So it's really really uncommon for us or for the the members that we work with to be anywhere lower than the top twenty five percent of the market. Generally, we're in the top ten percent of the market in any given area, just because the vast majority, like fifty percent of hosts on Airbnb, 
are just really, really easy to beat. Like they're just, they just don't really have the expertise to, to be that kind of difficult competition. Well, uh, James and Riley, tell our viewers and listeners how they can get in touch with you and what kind of services you actually offer. Yeah, so I'd say that the best way to get in touch would just be through our website, bnbinnercircle.com. Yeah, everything that we do, uh, like Riley mentioned, it's pretty custom tailored to the individual. Uh, so you can get in touch with us through the website, chat with uh, with our team. And if it's a good fit, then we can kind of see what uh, will make sense for working together. Everything is custom tailored to the individual. But if you are looking to invest in short-term rentals, or if you have a portfolio that you want to convert over to short-term rentals, if you're interested in the, the short-term rental investing space, then be sure to reach out and we can see how we can, how we can potentially be a fit to help you. Well, it has been wonderful having you, Riley and James. Very informative and a very interesting aspect of real estate that I know a lot of people are interested in because, well, as you say, there are good returns to be made and uh, it's good to know that the massive amount of competition that is out there isn't very competitive. So it's been a delight having you. Thank you, Riley. And thank you, James. Been a delight to be on. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, I appreciate it. Enlightened investors, don't go yet. I have just a couple of quick requests. You know the drill. Like, share, and subscribe. But we also need your help to build our audience. So please go to your favorite podcast app and leave us a five-star rating and review. I'll be most grateful. Until next time, prosper and live abundantly. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com.